0: Proverbs chapter four, verse 18 says this, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. In verses 14 to 19 of Proverbs chapter four, the the sage, the writer, the collector of these Proverbs, Solomon, he's, he's writing in this chapter as a sage speaking to his son. And he's giving his son warnings about the path of the wicked the wicked it says cannot sleep unless they have done wrong they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble and where does this path of the wicked lead it says the way of the wicked is like deep darkness they do not know over what they stumble so the path of the wicked isn't only wicked It's not just sinful, it's blindness, it's darkness, it's stumbling around in a world full of unknowing. They don't know what to do or where to go. But piercing this warning is verse 18, which gives us a a contrasting path, uh, a, a different way. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So wickedness and righteousness, darkness and light, th- these are familiar images to us. If we're familiar with scripture, they're fi- familiar word pictures, metaphors in in the biblical text, these these contrasting paths. I wonder what you're afraid of. Are you afraid of the dark? That, that might sound a little bit childish and my kids aren't here to say, yes, I'm afraid of the dark. Um. But most of humanity is afraid of the dark. And if you don't believe me, how many of you drive around at night with your headlights off? How many of you would feel comfortable walking down a dark alley in a strange city? I was just hanging out with a guy yesterday. He was talking about he, he was trying to buy a motorcycle off of Craigslist, and he got the wrong address, and he wound up going through this part of North Omaha that looked pretty rough and then all of a sudden he's on a dead-end road surrounded by a chain-link fence (laughs) He he was not excited about his situation who among us would volunteer to have our heart surgeon work in the dark of course it's not the darkness itself that we're afraid of in that situation right we're afraid of what the darkness might be concealing what it might be hiding our fear stems from the absence of light light reveals light illumines light, guides us the presence of light provides safety this is simply a statement of what most of us find to be common sense right light brings safety so if you get on the road tonight which might not be the best idea but if you do you're going to turn your headlights on if you're walking through the house at night you're going to either rely on a nightlight or stumble and stub your toes until you find a light switch and and if you're going to the surgeon you can probably ask them to use a light but if all of that just seems like common sense, I wonder if you think about this fact that for each and every one of us, our natural state of being is walking in darkness, living in the dark, because we're naturally wicked. John 3:19, Jesus says, "And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil." We're all born in this darkness, we all resist the light, which explains another universal fear, the fear of death. Uh, And death is the most universal of all human experiences. Even Jesus, the son of God himself, experienced death in his human nature. King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter two, so just a slight write from Proverbs. Ecclesiastes two and verse 16. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. We're going to die, and we're going to be forgotten, and that terrifies us. Death is the deepest darkness of all, and most of us spend our time avoiding the thought of it. We look for diets, we look for haircuts, and we look for clothes that either either make us look younger or at least feel younger. We're, we're the society that has nursing homes, senior meals, retirement communities, so that people my age don't have to be around people who are visibly nearing eternity. Like there's this great separation of age categories in our country. I know people who avoid funerals for the same reason. They're, they're afraid of facing the reality of their own mortality. And in ways, this can seem like it makes a lot of sense. Who wants to be morbid? I've been accused of being morbid a time or two, and it, like, it's not usually used as a compliment. Uh, who wants to think about the daylight of life moving past evening and into darkness? But what, what if you didn't have to think about age fading as or death as darkness what what if you didn't have to think about it as a coming to a close what if death could be like noon what if death is something that takes place at the fullest brightest moment of life and leads us further into brighter light fuller joy and perfect righteousness and life for all of eternity That's the reality that Proverbs 4.18 is pointing towards. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So as we think about the verse, I just want to ask three questions. Who are the righteous? How can my path be made bright? And when is the full day? Number one, who are the righteous? So when we typically think of righteous and wicked, we, we just naturally drift into obvious categories you know the wicked that's like the osama bin laden's that's the child rapists. that's the maybe if we like scale it back even a little bit like okay maybe abortion doctors and uh, uh, people leading violent riots in cities like those are the wicked and then the righteous well those are the people that are just like a cut above those are the fred gums of the world like those are the righteous right but in the bible we get a little different picture psalm 53 3 who are the righteous in psalm 53 3 says they have all fallen away they've all fallen away together they've become corrupt there is none who does good not even one and over in romans chapter 3 Verses 19 and 20 says now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by works of the law. No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And in light of these texts who are the wicked, we're all the wicked. Every single human being who's ever lived is in that category by nature of the wicked how do we become righteous if you keep reading in romans 3 there beginning verse 21 says but now the righteousness of god has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ for all who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god The way we move from being the wicked to the righteous isn't by cleaning up our life it's by trusting in christ and receiving an alien righteousness a righteousness that is not our own god justifies and is the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus through faith in christ we're justified we're declared righteous and we receive an imputed righteousness second corinthians 5:21. for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god this is a different understanding of justification than like the the roman catholic church would teach uh, infused that justification is an infused righteousness that that when you trust christ then god starts to make you that it's not it's not a declaration that happens at the beginning but we believe that when Paul says, if we trust in Christ, God declares us righteous, then that's what it happens. It's like we trust in him, he declares us righteous. But there is a progressive growing in righteousness as well. If we receive a righteousness that is not our own, a, a declaration that we've been made righteousness, we will increasingly live in a way that is actually righteous. 1 John chapter 2. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The New City Catechism question 32 is what do justification and sanctification mean? Uh, It's a good summary of this truth. Justification means our declared righteousness before God made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us sanctification means our gradual growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us which takes us back to what we talked about in Galatians 5 last week, to keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit is that's how that gradual growing righteousness takes place. Point two, how can my path be made bright? If, If I move from being in the category of the wicked to the righteous by trusting in Christ, how does my path become bright like our text in in proverbs 4 what what it says is the path of the righteous the the walk the life of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full day how does the path get bright if you have trusted in christ if you're clothed in his righteousness what does that do to your life the writer would seem to indicate that our path ought to grow brighter and brighter. And if you look, if you're still in 1 John, just go back to chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 say this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we're walking in obedience to God, exposing ourselves to what he has said by reading his word, by coming to church and hearing his word read and preached and praying, as we do most of the time before the sermon, that God by the power of his spirit would illumine our hearts, that we would hear what we need to hear we're going to have his light shining into our lives. The the light of his word is going to spot like be like a spotlight shining on us and past us down the road. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I don't know how I don't have that verse in these notes somewhere. That's insane. <laughs> Talk about an oversight. This can be a really uncomfortable experience Uh, John chapter 3 verse 19 tells us that not not only are we in darkness because of our sin but that the darkness hates the light like those things that the sin that's still in us that wickedness that still lives within our flesh it does not want to be exposed doesn't want to get shown where it is God's word exposes us and shows us where we fail and fall short. But this experience for the believer in Jesus, as uncomfortable as it may be, can also be comforting. Because if we start with the premise that I am a sinner, unable to save myself, wholly dependent on Jesus' righteousness to save me, then we can look at our sin, we can let the light shine on it, understand that it's there, understand how ugly it is, and that it needs to go. But we don't have to freak out and go, oh, but if I don't get this right and I don't do it in just the right amount of time, he's going to stop loving me. No. We already know that he loves us and that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John one, first John 1, 9. If we continue, if we pursue growing in righteousness, becoming more holy in our life, because we know we can pursue growing in righteousness, becoming more holy in our life, because we know that God already considers us holy in Christ. This means we have freedom as his children to live in the light without fear, to let it expose us. It's from this position of security that we can pursue living in rhythm with the way that God ordered the world, which is the point of the book of Proverbs is to live in rhythm with the way God made the world. What happens when we do this? Philippians 4:7 tells us that there is a peace that passes understanding. First Peter 1:8 tells us that there is a joy inexpressible and filled with glory, and these are things that are not dependent on our temporary circumstances. that this joy can fill your soul even if you lose a job. That peace can still your mind even when you lose a loved one. They're not the passing fancies of a nice day at church. They're the regular benefits of walking close to Christ and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, Matthew 6.33. I wonder if that's your experience as a believer in Jesus Christ. If not, you think about like what what's in between me and that experience. Do you do you look for your satisfaction to Christ, or do you look someplace else? I was over at youth group at, at LBC on Wednesday, and just trying to I don't know I don't know how well I connect with teenagers, but I just trying to help kids think through this we're in Ecclesiastes, and you know, Ecclesiastes, the message over and over is that the things under the sun are going to leave you flat. They aren't going to fulfill you. The, the sum of all things is this, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man, Ecclesiastes 12. And it, no matter where we look in this life for peace and for joy and for satisfaction, like every single thing we can look to here, even the really good things, fail us if we're counting on them to be the source of our joy. So are you looking to things of this earth or are you looking to Christ for your satisfaction and your peace? Are you pursuing him daily by turning to scripture, repenting of sin, seeking to keep in step with the spirit by pursuing unity with other believers? I've I've talked to people who feel like they've tried to live a Christian life and that God's abandoned them or they feel let down or left by God when in fact if you look at the pattern of their life they walked away from him they, they quit having peace and joy because they walked away from the source of the peace and joy which is God himself So that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Paul tells us to examine ourselves. So look at your path and if it's growing brighter, rejoice in that. And if it's not, like have you walked away from the light? Question 3, when is the full day? When is the full day of Proverbs 4:18? I think I think to answer that question, I just want to read a number of passages and then summarize what I think they're saying to us. Uh, start in Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 28 to. Th- and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. 2 Corinthians 3:18 Says, "And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Philippians chapter one, verse 16, verse six, rather, sorry. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And if everyone who thus hopes in him purifies... And everyone who thus purifies... Let me try that again. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So here's what I think we see in those passages. If you've placed your hope in Jesus Christ, it's before, because God called you before the foundation of the world. But he didn't just call you to be saved from hell. He he called you to be conformed to the image of his son. And one day you will be glorified. As, As we behold God in the scriptures and the spirit works within us to bring about this conformity to Jesus, we are being transformed. Even in this life we are being transformed. But this work as it comes in this life it'll sometimes be slow it will not be complete until the day of Christ Jesus when we shall see him as he is have you ever have you ever thought about that phrase we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is that seeing more and more of god changes us that that seeing him, I suppose an analogy would be like the more time your kid spends with you, the more like you that child becomes, which is why my children are so much like their mother. <laughs> and and you see as, as couples get older, the longer they've been married, a lot of times they end up saying the same things, uh, acting like each other. Some people think that and Andy's theory is the longer couples have been married, the more they look like each other. Um, if if we are beholding God in His Word, and and by being with His people, who His His body here on Earth, we will become more and more like Him. But one day there's going to be a day where we're not receiving God in a mediated form, like through the word or through his people. We are going to see him as he is. And that sight transforms us. I, I, I can't even picture in my mind, like, what's that going to be like? I don't know. But it's a glorious, glorious truth that he will change us fundamentally, not Not through like zapping us, but allowing us to see him. In that day, we will not only be counted righteous because of Christ. We will have actually been made perfectly righteous by Christ. So the truth we see pointed to in Proverbs 4.18 is that this increases throughout the life of someone who is walking with God. It stands in stark contrast to the way of the wicked that keeps going down and down into the increasingly dark pit. So you've got to ask, which direction is my path headed? For those in Christ, your path should grow increasingly bright. You should be increasingly holy, experiencing more joy. Not perfect, but throughout your life, increasing. Paul tells Timothy to let all see your progress which brings us back to death. The reason the righteous person, the person who has been forgiven by God because of Christ's work for them, never has to fear death is this for them. Death is like noon. It's not a passing out of existence. It's not the end. It's not the dive into the deepest darkness of all the pits of hell. Rather, it's the moment when the peace and the joy and the conformity to Christ, which have already been increasingly present in their life, move from being faint hints, from being shadows, being the early rays of sunlight, and become the broad daylight of full noon. They increase when we pass into his presence into the full day. Death need not be like darkness, for the believer in Jesus Christ For us, death is like noon. Living in this light, the light of a forgiveness which enables obedience, allows us to wholeheartedly pursue a holy life right here and now. But it also, and more importantly, allows us to see that here and now is not all there is. We have hope forever in Christ, and that is worth rejoicing over. So let me pray before we sing. Father God, we thank you that you That you, in Christ Jesus, have paid for the sins of all who will trust in him. And you give that person with faith the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that by the power of your spirit, you are conforming us to the image of Christ. And we thank you that one day, we will see him as he is. We will look him face to face and be transformed. We long for that day, Father. Help us to increasingly be like him even now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.